Hello, you gearheads out there. It's time for another episode of the Tone Bros Podcast with Tone Bro number one over here, Mr. Matt Horn. Matt, how you doing? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm I'm doing fine. I have frog hair. And me, Tone Bro number two, Electric Boogaloo, uh, Chuck Bungo, a.k.a. Poot the Bard, uh, from both my YouTube channel, which I kicked back up, and um, also uh, the Pittsburgh Pile Driver podcast, our wrestling podcast, and I'll talk more about that stuff at the end. But... Um, but yeah, man. So, Matt, how you doing? What's new and exciting in the uh, in 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 the uh, world of Tone Bro Number One? Well, Tone Bro Number One is on to some new um, some new career options uh, on the day job front. But um, this is going to allow some more time at night to not only be with the fam, the uh, the Tone family, uh, if we want to call it that. They don't like being called that, but whatever. <laughs> it's not their choice. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is who but, we um, are now. This is the way. Sorry, as, as I mentioned way. this. I mentioned this to Tone Bro Number Two. Uh, my kids and I have been binging on The Mandalorian. Uh, we've been putting it off for almost a year um, because my wife wasn't around to watch it because um, of contrasting work schedules. But now we're all home, and now we're just binging the hell out of it. So now every time we speak, we either say "This is the way" or "I have spoken," and oh. you know that's just <laughs> appropriate for everything. I so, love it, but. Uh, but with the uh, the new job, that will give me more time at uh, at night, so I can actually, you know, once COVID lifts, I can actually start playing again uh, out in public in the real world. Awesome. It's gonna be amazing, dude. That's the one big thing that I miss uh, from all this, because like my my band uh, Hellbent. And I don't know if we mentioned this on our podcast, dude. We had gigs lined up all the way through the end of February, and we were starting to line up other gigs going forward, and then poof gone yep now on one hand it was nice because it opened up weekends but on the other hand i really love playing live yeah it's an outlet uh performing is an outlet for us it gets out our all the positive and the negative emotions um it just it gets out our frustrations it gets out our joys our bliss our anxieties It, it 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 just that's that's peace for for us i know i'm speaking a lot on behalf of tone bro number two but you know that's Dude. that's the life of a performer this is what we look forward to listen you're you're more than uh allowed to speak for me on that front because like i tell everyone when i'm on stage and i know this sounds very like a uh-huh, artist kind of thing but dude that's when i really feel like free it and it and you know, to people out there who might roll their eyes at that statement, like you don't like you either don't feel that and you don't need that or you you aren't a performer because like being on stage in front of a crowd that is hyped, that's enjoying what you do and playing music, especially that you really enjoy and you're into it. There's nothing like it. You can just be who you are and have fun. And I know for me, one of the things I love looking forward to after a gig is the pictures people take, because usually there's a cool picture that I can use as my profile picture on Facebook. So (laughs) like, um, I'll see, let's see if I remember to edit this in. Uh, I really like this picture right here. Um, that's my favorite one. Um, and that was from our last Halloween gig. Uh, paint yourself a mental picture. You've seen the the one that's my profile picture on Facebook. There, Tone Bro, number number one, Stunna, wah, oh, yeah. wah, wah, wah. The um, 
that uh but no like it it really is true like and that's why i miss it is because it it's something to look forward to it's something and i know that again this sounds like a cliche but it's true getting you through the work week like your day job i yep. you know you might love your day job and even if you do there are still some days that are just a drag you don't want to be there like i i enjoy my job i do but sometimes you're like, man, I can't wait for the weekend when I get to go play that gig. You know what I mean? It's oh, like yeah. a, it's a reward at the end of the week. Yeah, like we have a um, well before COVID hit, obviously we have a we had a guaranteed uh, usually like three gigs that we had guaranteed uh, every year uh, that were just we always kind of fit our gigging schedule and our practice schedules around these three gigs that we did, um, and they were all private parties. Um, but they were, they usually had a really good turnout and it was just so much fun because it was real low key. Um, I don't want to say people expected, didn't expect a whole lot. They just knew they were going to have fun, but every time we, we killed it and, um, I would, you know, that week I would just be focusing on that Saturday afternoon or that Saturday night till I got there, till I got to the gig, nothing else really mattered. And then being up on stage, forgot all the other crap that went on during the week. It's just like you said, it's freedom. Yeah, dude. I like, and plus, especially when you have a crowd that's giving you good energy, you play better, like, and you put on a better show. It really is like a, uh, um, a, a symbiotic thing because I don't, I, I know you probably have, I've played to either nobody or a very dead crowd and it's a, yeah. but like, you got to keep putting out that energy um, and it gets exhausting. Like if you're playing a three, four hour gig and like the crowd is just sitting there listening and they're like, yeah, this is pretty good. It's not the same as people getting up and dancing, having drinks, yelling and screaming, singing along. Like I, you know, there's nothing like that kind of crowd. Right. What was the smallest crowd you've ever played to? Oh man. Um, it depends with a band. The smallest crowd, it's a tie. There was, and they're both gigs with my old band, Crack Pelvis. Um, love the name of that band. Dude, I love, I, I love <laughs> that band. I like, it was me and, and some of my best friends just playing basically Metallica covers. Um, it was, it was awesome. It was my band in high school. And then, um, a little bit when people graduated, like, it was, it was my first band I was in. And one gig we played at Indiana University. Um, it was supposed oh, to be wow. outside. Um, and we were going to be sharing a stage with OAR. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, right. Um, now, that this was in the sense of we weren't opening for them, but we were playing on the same stage on the same day. So for us, right. we told people we were opening for OAR. Um, but, um, hey, who cares? right. And, but because of rain, potential rain for this outdoor thing, we got moved inside and we got moved inside and nobody put out the word. So we literally performed to my friend, Sean, my friend, Rebecca and my parents. So four wow. people and it was, and then one guy who wandered in, who was probably high off his gourd. Um, and then the other one was the last gig 
with cracked pelvis at a place in a town by where I live called Phillipsburg. And there was this performing venue called Chrome Cult Studios. And it was like a small, it held like maybe two, 300 people. Um, and it was us and a band from Pittsburgh that was coming up. We were opening for them. And for some reason, no one showed up to the gig. So we played our last gig to the other band and their girlfriends. Man. And th- uh, two of the band members and their girlfriends left to try and get people to come to the show. It was a drag. Wow. Like, and that was our last gig. Like, that is rough. Yeah, we went out with a whimper. Um, but it, it, like, it was what it was. Like, I mean, those those were the two ones. Now, for myself, I played a dual classical gig with my friend Mike. And we just read through, like, jazz charts. And we also played some classical repertoire stuff at a restaurant. Um, what was, what, I can't, what was it? Was it the Blue Chimney? We called it the Blue Flu in Lock Haven. <laughs> and um, it was for Valentine's Day. They wanted music, so they hired us and <laughs> to play in the dining room just as background music. Dude, there were maybe four couples that came in and had dinner in the two hours that we were there playing. Like, so it was to no one. It was just Mike and I basically practicing, and we got paid to do it, and we also got fed. Like, so for a musician, that was great. And for two hours, yeah, so I it's, think it's a win. I think they paid each of us 150 bucks. That's so, pretty good, actually. Well, for a college, for two college classical guitar players, that was great. Um, and I also broke their, I broke one of their chandeliers. Um, <laughs> I was, I was putting away my guitar and I lifted it up, and the ceiling was so low that I smacked into one of the lamps that was hanging down, and you just heard pop, and all the lights in the dining room went out. Oh man! And I pulled because it was just dark enough. I pulled my guitar down and put it away, and I was like, reached up and stopped the thing. And Mike is just cackling and cackling and cackling, and and I'm like, I don't know what happened. And it blew a fuse, so they had to go and flip the circuit breaker. <laughs> and like they did, and it came back on, and that one uh, lamp was out. And I was like, I don't know what happened. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Mike never lets me forget. Mike never lets me forget that I broke I broke the restaurant. And that's where the money that Chuck won or that Chuck earned from the gig, that's where the money went. Oh no, no, Getting... no. They they thought it was just a fluke and I'm like, "Yeah, it was an absolute fluke. No idea what happened." <laughs> yeah. Like, but what about you? What's the smallest gig you ever played? So, I was playing in a band called Chucklehead, which again, <laughs> that was yeah, that was a fun band. I I really enjoyed. It, it was uh, actually they were all I don't want to say they were older, but it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, I was like 24. Uh, the next guy up was, I think, 28. And then we had a guy who was like 30. And then we had a guy who was, I'm going to say maybe 50. So it was kind of a mixed bag. But we were, I mean, they were all hardened touring veterans that were living outside of uh, State College. Um, I can't remember the name of the town that, that we practiced in. But we had a gig and we were playing like, ACDC covers, Kiss covers, Thin Lizzy covers, you know, just basic rock and roll, classic rock and roll. And um, oh, we were doing like Van Halen stuff and um, Cinderella stuff. And we 
had a gig at a bar. I don't remember the name of the bar, but it was somewhere in Huntingdon. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I am. Like in Juniata County in East Jabip. And it was like mid to late December. And it started pouring just a white sheet of snow descended from the heavens as if to tell us not to go perform that night. But did we heed the warning? No, we didn't. And um, our guitarist, our other guitarist, Cosmo, uh, who's on Facebook. Hey, Cosmo, if you're listening, um, he uh, I remember he pulled up and he looks at me and he goes, part of my language, he goes, this is fucking treacherous. And I said, yeah, it is. And we get to the gig. I think by the end of the night, there were we had counted maybe four people showed up. Oh. It was the bartender. It was the sound guy. I think it was our lead singer's girlfriend. And there, there might have been five people there. And I think there might have been the sound guy's girlfriend. And that was it. Um, and it was, I mean, that was, that was again, our last gig. Uh, that was our, the last time we ever played together. And it was just, oh, it was abysmal, but it was a good gig. Like we all played well. And that side note, um, kind of the, uh, upswing of that was that I got to play, um, cause my gig crapped or my gear crapped out. So Cosmo let me use his, uh, Gibson Les Paul standard and his, Ooh. uh, seventies, uh, 50 watt plexi. So that was that was a win. That that's so that was that that's was awesome. a pretty good pretty good win. I'll take that balance. I'd say yeah, and me with my my little baby hands who was playing nine gauge strings and he had elevens on that thing. I was like, oh, this is this is a little tough to play, but man, this, it was fun. This is fighting me. Um, yeah. No. Um, but before we get into into gear news, I want to jump on the. Um, uh, what were we calling this? Gaslighting with with uh, Matt and Chuck. Yeah, gaslighting with Matt and Chuck. All right. So I did a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you did. So you remember the Ignator Armageddon? Mm-hmm. I traded that to. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't get to try it. I traded, but I know the guy. I'm really good friends with the guy I traded it to. So, and if you ever make it up back this way again, you're going to get to try it. Um, uh, so I traded it to my buddy for, ready, the Arnold Caster. Okay. So the Arnold Caster came back home. And this was right. completely calculated. Um, <laughs> I went, the Eggnator probably will not net me a lot of money on the trade market because I wanted to sell some gear because I've, I'm trying to get rid of stuff I don't use. So, you know, I, I was like, you know what? I will go and I will sell to the devil. And I don't mean that literally. I will say all the nice things in the world about about the guitar centers in Pittsburgh. Both Robinson and Monroeville. They're both great. They are. Like, the yeah, employees there... Those. Very good. The employees there are engaging. They're nice. They 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 treat you well and they are very easy to deal with. Like they are wonderful. Um, and the guy I dealt with today, Brennan, he um, he I actually know him from another. Um, I actually know him from another um, uh, um, music store that he used to work at where I dealt with him before. But he lost a lot of weight and cut his beard off. I didn't recognize him. So he recognized me though, 
And it was crazy because he asked, he said, is your name Chuck? And I was like, yes. Did you just look that up? He goes, no, I remember you. And I'm like, from where? And he, and he explained it. And I went, and we, dude, we talked about like working out and lifting and we were talking gear and we were like, it was awesome. Like we, we had a, I had a really good time. Um, but so I had the Arnold caster and I had my helix floor. Um, I, and, and the helix floor was really convenient um, it was compact and everything, but I find myself using my rack unit more for gigs and everything. Cause I have my whole setup in there. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so I took the floor unit and I took the Arnold caster and I was like, well, all right, let's see what they'll give me. And I had a number in my head that I went, this is what I want. And they threw me that number and it wow. was, <laughs> Yet again, I went to a guitar center, by the way, and someone mistook me for an employee. <laughs> Which is funny because I was not dressed like a guitar center employee. Um, but I had. Well, I think it's because you you carry yourself with that level of knowledge that people look for um, when they go to a guitar center, which sadly in law stores they don't get. Uh, they man, I'll tell you what. Again, the ones in Pittsburgh, they do. Like, yeah, they're great in Pittsburgh, um, and Pittsburgh and Monroeville, but. And Monroeville, I was I was sitting and I was waiting for them to run numbers and figure out a price for me uh, to sell. I wanted to sell. I wanted the cash. I wanted to buy some tools for the workshop and everything. Listen, I understand this is a big long story, but this is how I tell stories. So join the join the <laughs> ride, join the joy ride. Okay, the um, ride or die. Um, so there was a guy who kept trying out guitars, and we were just kind of chit chatting. And I looked up on the wall. And I saw they still had ready. And again, I'll try and edit in pictures of this. It is, it was a George Lynch LTD. Okay. But not an ESP because they didn't do an ESP version of this one. It's an LTD George Lynch burnt tiger picture now. So the George Lynch burnt tiger. And there were only 330 of them made worldwide and i remember when they announced these they sold out like at the the nam they sold out like they were gone um dealers bought them and then private collectors bought them everyone bought them and i always wanted one and i've seen a couple pop up over the years but they did not last long on the used market um or at least on like stuff like craigslist and uh, reverb the ones at the time they they didn't last long and i never had the chance to get it well i looked and they had one on the wall and i went i saw they had that i thought they would have sold it it's there while they were running numbers for me i asked if i could try it so mm-hmm. brennan then gives me the rundown and says so i dealt with the guy who brought this in and i said okay what's the deal with it and he said he bought it brand new he bought this George Lynch brand new, took it out of the bubble wrap in the case, looked at it, put it back in the case, and put it away. Never even played it. He ran into some pro- this guy who was a collector who had it ran into problems with COVID, and you know he 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 needed money, so he sold it, and. Again, the guy never played it. And 
when they brought it in, Brennan told me, he said, I didn't even play it. I plugged it in and turned it up and hit the bridge, like plucked a string to make sure that it was working and it worked. He said, you're going to be the first person to actually play this thing. It even had the factory strings on it. Like full on as brand new as you can get. So I plugged it in. Absolutely needs a neck adjustment. 100%. Um, The action was kind of high, but it was playable. Played and sounded great. Even with the action high like that. And I shouldn't have played it. Because <laughs> I I went out and I called my uh, I uh, my um because everyone I was playing people were asking telling me oh man you should get that guitar you should get that and it was like other customers like they were like oh dude you should get that that's an awesome that's a badass guitar you should get that you should get that you should get that and I was like nah I better not and I'm like I need an objective person who's gonna talk me off the ledge so this person I always call is my dad. <laughs> Um, because he is, he has a good mind for this stuff because I get a little, I don't know about you, but I get a little like excited and I get that. I got to have it. Yep. And I, I need someone to even me out and that's my dad. So I called him and I talked to him and explained the situation and they, they were willing to do a straight up trade, which listen, there are probably out people out there shaking their head at me, but listen, that I, I talked to him and he said, well, listen, think of it. Do you absolutely need the money right now? And I said, well, no, it would be nice to have, but no, I don't absolutely need it. And he goes, then why would you take the cash? And I went, he said, is it worth it? I said, yes, there were only 330 of them made. And he goes, is it, is it going to retain its value? I said at minimum? Yes. And he said, okay. And he said, why would you walk away from this? He said, is it in good shape? He asked me all those questions and he said, why would you, you know, basically, why would you walk away from it? Why not get it, keep it and just have it and sit on it. Um, Take it out and play it. Enjoy it for yourself and take care of it. And I was like, he's right. So I went in there, shook the hand, signed the paperwork and I got myself number 81 of 330 George Lynch burnt tiger LTD. That's amazing. And it is in my workshop right now, waiting for a neck adjustment and a tuning. And man, I'm, I love George Lynch, but I'm not the most hardcore George Lynch fan. Right. Um, likewise, but I love his guitars. Like, the the snakes and swords or whatever it's called yeah that one is my favorite and they made an ltd version of it and i can't find it anywhere um the the yin yang one you know what i'm talking about the black and white one love that one too um bomber the bomber is amazing the kamikaze is great like you know but this one is something special and I love the look of it. It's a cool guitar. And now it is part of the Bardic collection. 
So well, and that's and that's awesome. I'm I'm glad to hear that because for me, guitars are that thing. Like you can take your guitar anywhere, you know. Um, and that's more of an extension of you. And again, not to get all musical and hoity-toity and <laughs> you know, your guitar is part of you. So if if you're going to like put yourself out there, you need the right tools for it. Amplifiers are awesome. Effects are awesome, and that's great and everything. But you can only be so connected to an amp or so connected to a pedal or a processor. But your guitar is where it begins and ends. If your guitar is not aces, if your guitar is not one with you, then then there's no point. So I always I always think if you're going to trade gear, trade it for a new guitar. Like trade up, not necessarily trade up, but trade into the guitar rather than oh maybe i'll just maybe i'll hawk this stuff and i'll get that uh that vintage um you know that vintage vox uh ac30 that i've been looking at well that's great but you know you turn that thing to one and the neighbors call the cops on you that's kind of useless right <laughs> you know um so i always i don't know i i'm always more the advocate of your guitarist so look more toward the guitar than the kind of ancillary gear and i know that's a controversial view but well, and you know, most of us don't need seven amps. You know what I mean? Well, the the guy that I traded the, the my buddy John that I traded the the Eggnator to, he is like how I I share the same view as you when it comes to guitars. Like I like guitars. They're like sure. I love pedals. Like wah pedals are one of my favorite things in the universe. Um, but like when it comes to having like whenever you're like I have my helix rack setup i got rid of all my amps because i don't need them like and, and it's not they're not valuable but it's just it's the same thing uh, you know a mark four you can only put on you know 0.5 before it kills small animals you know right and same thing with the with with marshall's voxes it's a little different but still to really get that juicy vox thing you gotta crank them um yeah. and I have my first half stack, my Jackson, and I have my my Helix rack set up. And that's all I need. But, like, with guitars, dude, you ever, like, you ever go into a store, a hole-in-the-wall store or whatever, whether, or a guitar center, where it doesn't matter, and you see a guitar and you go, that's my guitar. Mm -hmm. You just know. It's, it's that cliche of seeing the woman from across the room. You know what I mean? You just yeah. know that guitar is mine. And every time that I've done that, I still have that guitar. Like I did that with my, my actually I'm sitting here looking at it right now. My Charvel uh, San Dimas one, my Koa one, mm -hmm. that one, my Ibanez S540 FM. Um, the um uh the oh the um my my seven string my blue seven string did it with that like it's it's one of those things like those guitars i still have because they're just like something about them is me that that's yeah. why when any gear that i i go i want to trade this is not for me because I never want to get rid of my Charvels. I never want to get rid of my my Ibanez stuff. Like, and it's not for brand loyalty. It's those specific guitars. Like Scarface. I never want to get rid of Scarface. Like, it, unless it's back to you. 
Like it has okay. to stay in the family. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, but like, I'm the same way with you. Like, but the way that I, we are with guitars, John is with amps. He loves amps. He has a, what does he have? He has, um, he has that Eggnator now. He has a Legacy 3. And he has a Hughes and Kettner Grandmeister. Wow. And he wants more. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, ca- that kind of covers the gamut. Because the, the Eggnator is, I mean, that was, you said that was 120 watts, right? 120 or switchable down to 60. All right. And was it 6L6s or EL34s? 6L6s. 6L6s. Okay. I was con- confused because I knew some of the Eggners came out with KT88s, which is why I was a little confused. Okay. So he's he's got that. He's got the um, the Grandmeister. Is it the 18 or the 36? 36. 36. Okay. So that kind of covers a lot of ground there. I mean, the 36 is definitely loud enough to gig with. Absolutely. In fact, I played we played at a bar once where they had a... Tube Meister, and I think it was the Tube Master 5. Maybe oh, like the 5 watt, watt or the 10 Yeah, and it was a little 1 by 12 combo, and that thing filled the room. Oh, yeah. It sounded incredible. Hughes and Kettner's do that, man. Like that, Hughes and Kettner's, yeah. I've found, they're kind of one of those amps you either love or hate. Yeah. Like, for a long time, for a long time, my um, dream amp was the Triamp. Oh, yeah. Because KNS had one. They had a couple there. Um, they had a Triamp. A duo tone and whatever the single channel. The, was it the prime tone? Or am I thinking of something else? Prime tone. It was the um, single channel. Was that the prime tone? I know that there there was the triaxis, the duo tone, and the prime tone. Let me look. I'll you know what? I'll research this. You keep talking. Okay. Um, but yeah, they had a, quite a few Hughes and Kettner amps. They even had um, you know, I was we were talking about this on a previous podcast. They had those old um vortex heads that were solid state that were i don't know for when i was 20 i thought they sounded amazing but in hindsight they probably weren't that great but they're built incredibly well but the triamp was that was a bucket list amplifier and i remember sitting in our local music store and looking at that i think it was 24.99 price tag going okay well i don't need both of my kidneys my spleen is probably somewhat useful to somebody right now. My spleen. And maybe maybe I could get away with, with giving up an eye. So, you know, that that seems like a fair trade because I'll have I'll have the amp I want. I you know and there's something to be said, man, because I, I would love to get to the point in my life again where gear collecting in general is a feasible thing, not only like having the room to do it, but having the resources to do it. Um, now I know I'm looking on here right now. Um, Hughes and Kettner Triumph cabs go for like 200 bucks. Um, the the cheapest Triumph and it was the Triumph Mark one that I'm seeing here, uh, on reverb hashtag not sponsored could be sponsored. Um, the, uh, is the Triumph Mark one for 525 bucks. That's That's not bad. That's Mark one though. Um, yeah. which is fine. Um, and this one, uh, missing effects loop. Excuse me. What? Uh, I don't, I don't, what the hell? What? 
you got to show me what you're looking at. I, I will. I'll put. I, what the? F what is happening with this? Yo. Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, I'll I'll send this link in in chat here. Hold on. The uh, okay. so uh, for all you people, like I'm gonna start trying to do a little bit more production on, um, uh, on on these podcasts, especially for YouTube, so you can have a visual of the stuff we're talking about. Um, yeah, give me one second. I'm gonna send this because this cool. listing is cool. Because I was like, oh man, five twenty five for an original triamp. Sure. Um. Yeah, take a take a look at this. So it's missing the front panel, um, oh, okay. which is fine. But look at the back. Like, look at the picture in the back. It's kind of weird. Um, I'm actually going to save this so that I don't lose it. Um, I'll put the, um, I'll put this. There we go. Downloads. I'll just throw it in downloads. There we go. Uh, no, like this is just weird because, like, in the Redbox Di, it looks like oh the effect. Yo, if you look, the effects loop is gone. Did That's someone really bizarre. Did someone try and mod it? Like, what the hell is happening here? You'd think they're like I see the, I see the first picture. Yeah. There, but I don't see. Hold on, let me. You gotta, you gotta click yeah. through on, uh, on there. Oh, there's a closer picture. Yeah, it looks like someone yanked out the effects loop. And like mess with the that? red box. Like what is going on? Well, in the Whoa. red box, that's a lot of people don't like the way the red box sounds, but that's that's an extremely valuable feature. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a big selling point for for Hughes and Kettner. Well, yeah, and that was a Thomas Blug thing. Yeah, yeah, Blug is the one who developed the red box technology for them, and that was so forward thinking. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna also save this image. Good lord, that is bonkers. But um, why would you get rid of an effects loop in an amplifier, uh, especially a highly engineered amplifier like that? I mean, everything is built for a specific purpose. Front back covers two knobs, one DI area cover, four knobs not included. Like it, what the original knobs like this thing was gigged. Either it was gigged yeah. or it was a mod project for someone. As long as it works. I mean, if you're not worried about that stuff, good for you. You're getting a screaming deal. Um, but like... Uh, and I'm I'm sure it's fine because I you know this this uh, the the store and I I won't mention it just you know you can go find it on Reverb for yourself but I'm sure the store is selling it and it's in good working order because they have a very good review uh, rate they have a five star rating they're a preferred seller like the whole nine yards but like this is a really wacky piece of gear. And I kind of want to message them just to see what is going on with this amp. I'm curious, like, what the, the thought process was here. Yeah, that's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not me. Pl pl again, please don't take this as me shitting all over this listing. It's just kind of bizarre, like you said. Um, yeah, something doesn't add up right. Well, it's even le here, local pickup only, but a Triumph Mark, uh, Triumph Mark II in what seems to be good working order is 1100 bucks. Like, so, I mean, yeah. if you want to get, that's the cool thing about these tri axes, man. Like the, the, the Mark one and Mark two, they're not outside the realm of feasibility. Now the Mark, uh, the Mark three, that's the, the, that's a lot like, you know, the Mark threes yeah, are 
wacky expensive. They're what four grand, something like that. Yeah, I think the one that I had was um, or, yeah, the one that I had. <laughs> Keep dreaming. The one that I played, I think, was the Mark II, because that would have been around two thousand four or two thousand five. That, that that time period. Yep. So I think that would have been like Mark II, but that was. I mean, it had everything. Cleans were killer. Gain was just amazing. The, the tightness of it, but it still had that that I don't want to say martial crunch, but it still had that that heavy like snarling. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. The viewers might not the viewers might not quite have a grasp on my lingo, but you'll know what it is. Well, you've played the amps too, so. Oh yeah. No, and okay. Here's a question. Before we get into, because I know there's um, a, a very epiphony topic you want to cover, and I'm very interested yes. too because you've been a little more on the cutting edge of what's happening um, with with gear stuff uh, than I am um, lately because I've just been preoccupied with other things. Um, I, I try and stay up to date, but Matt has really been on his game, especially on over on our Facebook page there, which would be facebook.com slash podcast, which you should go give us a like and a comment. Um, plug. Plug the, um, but before we do that, just throwing this out there, and this isn't looking for any kind of ego stroking or anything of the two of us, who do you think knows more about gear? Oh man. That's tough. That's tough because, like, I'm going to be modest and I'm going to say you because you've been out in the field more with that stuff. Like, I, I'm going to say I have more of a scholarly approach, and I think we talked about this before in other podcasts. That um, if I spend as much time practicing as I did fetishizing and obsessing over gear and looking at gear, um, I'd be able to give John Petrucci lessons in my sleep. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, dude, same. <laughs> Just. You know, if I practice near as much as I should have and, you know, all those years of staying up late on Harmony Central forums when I should have been woodshedding, um, you know, I would I would have been much more technically proficient than I am now uh, if I would have stepped away from that. But I think that's that's one of the trappings of being a guitarist. I think you either start off practical and you start working on your craft or you get into the fetish part of it. Not you know what I mean. You get into the 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 kind of um, mystical, fantastical part of being a potential rock star and playing all this amazing equipment and just having all this stuff at your fingertips. Uh, that's more fascinating to you than the, than putting in the actual work. And for me, I didn't put in the work. Well, so I think for you, you have been more entrenched with the gear and you put in more of the work than I did. So I'd say you, you probably edge me out a little bit, at least in that point, but I'm also, you know, I'm trying to be modest. Well, no, you, I would say you made a very salient point with the scholarly side of things versus the, in the trenches kind of thing. I would say, and again, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, Tom bro. Number one, uh, uh, you know, more, about the history of gear, like as far as like traditional gear, like you know more about Gibson, you know more about Vox and Marshall, you know more about like Boss, like from a hist mm. historical standpoint, um, than I do. But I will say, I think I have more hands on knowledge of gear. Yes, like, that's yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. From from the sense of, aside from 
the all the stuff I've traded and bought and sold over the years to um, just when I'm out on the road, like on a road trip to go visit friends or to for like whatever, I'll go out of my way to find a music store and that's off the beaten path and go in and see what gear is there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I will go out of my way to like go and find a dealer for, you know, oddball brand number one. You know what I mean? Or like I'll do research on used sites to see, oh, this place has the six string Ibanez uppercut like series, the RG uppercut. I got to go right. try that and I got to try and get my hands on it. Um, oh, look, this place has, you know, w w like one of the, I, I don't know, like, it, you know, any, any number of things. Oh, this place has a hand wired version of this pedal. I'm going to go give it a try. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I, I think I have more like, cause dude, honestly, I, we should do this for an episode we should sit down and try and figure out all the gear we've ever owned. <laughs> as far as oh, major, major pieces of gear, like guitars, pedals, amps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I was actually, I was actually thinking about doing that too. I, I think that'd be a really good idea. And I think it'd be really interesting um, from a lore perspective as, as they would say in the, in the storytelling world. Um, I think it would be interesting just to see where we came from. I, I think I, would... I don't think you and I have I don't think you and I really have a dissimilar path. I think we kind of came from a very similar route. Yeah, like, and I and I was thinking about gear that I because I was talking to you, what piece of gear was it that I forgot that I owned? Um, at one point yep. there was something that I had that I I I like legit forgot I owned for a while. Yeah, and I hate that. I I will sometimes have dreams about stuff that I think that I think I own, um, and I'm pretty sure I did own because I wouldn't have had that that kind of connection with it. But um, kind of going into that, is there something that you have picked up that went immediately back to the store or immediately back to the original seller? Um, no, but there has been stuff that I've I've bought and immediately sold. Because I didn't like it. Now, the reason okay. that it didn't go back to the retailer or to the original seller is because, weirdly enough, with a lot of things in my life, I am very uh, anxious and very uh, doom and gloom and very mm -hmm. jump to conclusion-y. Just ask the current lady friend um, who puts up with me for whatever reason. Um, like... But with gear, if I buy something and it's a lemon, um, and we've all done it, if you're out there and you say, well, why didn't you test it out? Just shut up. You've done it too. Um, right. Like my example for that would be I picked up an ADA MP1, an early ADA MP1. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, at the time, I didn't have a power amp for it. And so I went on the Facebook marketplace and the first thing that popped up in my recommended listings was an ADA Microtubes 200 power amp. And I went, okay. where's this at? And it was in Grove City. That weekend I was going to Pittsburgh. Grove City 
roughly on the uh, like roughly on the way uh, if you go 80. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'll I'll call this guy up and see if he'll take 150 bucks because he listed it for 200. And and I got there, met him. We talked gear for like an hour. He was super nice guy. He has a studio, like everything was kept in good shape. He said, dude, I fired it up. It works fine. I just, you know, I just don't use it. I have other power amps. And I said, okay, cool. Gave him the money, took it. And I was like, dude, I have an, an ADA setup. This is cool. Here found out that half of it doesn't work. So like the Ugh. microtubes is a stereo amp. It's a hundred Watts per side. You can bridge them but it's 100 watts per side. So it was only operating one of them. Now, 100 watts, you think that's a lot, but it's really not. Um, and especially when you're running into a 16-ohm cab, because I think those were designed for eight. So when you run an eight-ohm output into a 16-ohm cab, it drops the wattage even further, um, or the volume. So I went, ah, oh, crap. You know what I mean? Like, I was like... the. And I thought, I was like, did this guy take me for a ride? But I'll bet you he only plugged into that one channel, tried it, and went, cool, it works. Because you put it through the bridged output, it still puts out sound. Mm -hmm. So I don't fault him. And I actually messaged him, and he said, oh, dude, I'm really sorry. Like, he was apologetic and everything. But I told him, no, I'll keep it. I'll bet you I can fix this. Um, and... Mm -hmm. I'm going to get it fixed. I'm going to actually take it to an electrical engineer, like someone who knows what they're doing. Um, uh, because, and my ADA also needs work too. The actual preamp needs fixed badly. Um, but, uh, but like, so honestly, other than that, I mean, I had a Schecter E1 that Sad Chuck bought Happy Chuck. And I traded it away after about two weeks. And I could have returned it to, to Sweetwater, but I traded it away for other stuff. Like, I didn't, you know, like the guy really wanted it and he traded me some good stuff for it. So I went, okay, it's just more tr more trading. Like, I like that. So, I, no, not really. I mean... There's never been anything I've immediately returned or anything like that. Like, um, what about you? Well, that's kind of why I asked. I um, and I might have told you this story. I was, oh, what was I using? I had my, um, I don't remember if I had my Ampeg BT60 and my Rockmaster that oh, I was yeah. preamp that I was running through that. Which I regret getting rid of the Rockmaster, but I had a very specific reason for I'm it. So and mad I, you it, got rid of that. I that's one of well, my bucket list gear pieces. In, hind in hindsight, and especially because I only paid, I think, 150 for it, uh, for that with the foot switch. But that was back in, like, 2004. So, but, you know, I in hindsight, though, I think I made the right choice because I used that to finance the 5150. So, uh, uh, you know. uh, All right. All right. I'll give uh, it to you. Go on. I'll, I'll give uh, that to you. Yeah. I'll give that to you. That's a gimme. Yeah. So, um, but I can't remember if I had, if I still had the Ampeg or if I had my Laney 50-watt. Uh, AOR combo because that was actually that was a piece of gear that I forgot that I owned. It was a the fifty watt combo version of the head that I used to have, and that one huh. it just it's it sounded good, but it didn't quite get that snarl that I wanted that the head got. So I was right. looking around at our music store at 
drive pedals because I wanted to just goose it and give it some real nasty edge. And my buddy said, oh, we just got some pedals in. Um, you might want to look at these. And he had a couple laid out, and one of them just drew my attention. And it was, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it was a Hughes & Kettner product. And it was the, it was either the Warp or just or the Warp Factor. Oh, the, I think warp, it was the warp Factor. Factor. Oh, my yeah. God, that little pedal. Yeah, it was the thing. It was a black. It was almost circular. Yeah, it kind of looked like ovular. a... It looked like a. It was supposed to look like a fuzz face. Yeah. And with a with like a goatee, but I thought yes. it looked like a Bix uh, a Bixonics X Pandora from hell. Yep, it did. And it, yeah, with at about half the, the thickness of it. Um, yep. And I plugged it in, and it sounded amazing. But I didn't really think about it at the time that I was playing it through the, at the time three and a half thousand um, dollar triamp half stack which i think i think anything would have sounded good through that amp i took it home and it was just a steaming pile of dog shit steaming hot pile of dog shit it sounded horrible the very next day i took it back and i said i i am not jiving with this at all so did they work with you and take it back Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, that was nice of them because yeah, they had they had a return policy, so yeah, they were they well, were solid with that. Well, it it um now okay, that leads to another question. I know we keep dancing around this epif- epiphone thing you want to talk about, and we're supposed to be talking oh, about gear news and stuff, but screw it, we're having fun. The um right, uh, what is the worst pedal you've ever owned? The worst pedal I've ever the owned. The worst oh, man. pedal you've ever owned. See, that's gonna take. Uh... That You've owned a lot of pedals. From... You're a pedal guy. Yeah, yeah. I not so much anymore, but yeah, I definitely. And I'm actually looking to get rid of some. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely a pedal guy. Um, I don't know if it's. <sighs> See, this is really hard for me to say. Oh man, yeah, this is tough for me to say. Um, because it's not. I can't really say it's the worst pedal I've ever owned, but it was the pedal that was the the least useful for me and i'm really i really feel bad about saying this but it's the um it's a dan electro pedal which side note i've loved every dan electro pedal that i've ever played they were all great pedals the one that i bought that i really should not have bought but it was only 20 bucks so who cares was the fab echo (laughs) and i say it's useless because it only got i'm gonna say at the most it maybe got 200 milliseconds of of delay on it it was slapback and that was it and it was just varying degrees of slapback now side note it was all analog so it sounded great if I was in a rockabilly band <laughs> and again, I'm not, I, I know I sound very snarky, but I'm, I'm absolutely not. I'm just trying to have some fun with this, but it was completely useless for what I was going for. I thought like when I got it, I thought, Oh, maybe it'll push me into like Echoplex territory. Cause there, and I remember talking to you about this. There was a brief period where I would have sold my house to buy an Echoplex. Um, and it just, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. So I still have the pedal because quite frankly, it's not worth anything. Um, but for me, it was probably the most useless pedal. Um, between that and 
forgive me for saying this, the metal zone. <sighs> Only because I could not get a good sound out of it. I don't think it's a bad pedal at all. I, I, I know you loved it, and I know you got great tones out of it. And I know lots of players who get great tones out of it. Me, personally, I could not get a great sound out of it because I didn't know how to use it. So the problem was with me. It's not you, it's me. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> my relationship with the metal zone. But I've owned like three of them. So you just keep trying. Really can't be that you know. I just keep trying to make it work, but it's just you know it's really honestly it's the it's the Janus to my Chandler. Right. If we're gonna go that route. Oh, you sound like you're underwater, buddy. Oh, I'm there still you there. go. You're back. All right. All right. <laughs> no, I was just saying it's like the Janus to my Chandler. It's it's gotcha. You know. But again, it wasn't a bad pedal. It was just something I couldn't use. Yeah. No, I so. got gotcha. you. I've been there. Um, oh, I, you know, pedals are probably going to be the hardest thing for me to go back and document because, dude, there was a time where I had a an abject fuck you amount of pedals. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what what's the worst pedal that I've ever had. Um. Can I tell you something though? As a side note, though, sure. The pedal that I'm the pedal that I'm the most upset that you got rid of, but I'm happy as to who it was given to was the Ice Nine Vox. Oh yeah, I, I was yeah. really bummed that you got rid of it, but I'm happy. Which that will be a story for another time or for tonight. Fuck it, whatever. I, well, um, it's not really a, a a big story. Um, and and I it could be a sensitive subject for people who are in the know on all the drama mama stuff, but I don't really care about all that um, no. because it was a very fond memory for me, and I made a really good friend out of uh, the the trip. Whenever Chapman was on tour doing the Chapman Rift City thing, whenever Joe and Chapman were uh, Joe and Rob were still on uh, good terms, um, mm -hmm. and and they I went to the one out in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, out in Ohio. It was awesome. It was a great trip. You were supposed to go on that trip with me, weren't you? We were talking about it and then um and then my little one was born and it just things got very like we're gonna say adulty. So it for me I, I really wasn't able to pull myself away. And I'm not blaming I'm I'm glad that I was able to do that, but you know. Right. We were definitely planning on it. I just was unable to commit to it. Right. And and that's completely understandable. But I went out to that one, and I had a, a Vox a Joe Satriani Ice 9 overdrive. Um, and it was a great overdrive. Really good. If you can find one, get one. Because they are super great. The Ice 9 is great. Um, and I decided, in my infinite wisdom, I was going to give it to Rob. Because... Uh, he was, he's a huge Satriani fan and I never saw him in any of his pedal collections have one. So I was like, you know what? I got this pedal for a song. Um, I got it in a trade. It was thrown in. Like it was just like a, an extra little bit of candy. So I went, all right. And I was getting away from pedals at the time. And so I, I, I was like, I'm going to give this to Rob. So I took it out and I, I gave it to Rob and he was over the moon. He was so happy and like, and, and, uh, we, we talked, I got to talk to him. He is in person. He is a delight. He is just over the top. Well, at the time he's mellowed out since then, but, um, he was over the top swears like a sailor. 
It is hilarious because <laughs> he doesn't in his videos. And to hear him talk otherwise, he swears like a sailor. It is hilarious. Um, and talked to Joe and his daughter. They were great. The, be the best part of it was talking to Rabia, though. Um, <clears throat> because everyone was all over, uh, was kind of up Rob's ass. You know what I mean? And Rabia was over there, and he's over by the, the booze table. And just kind of hanging out. People would go up and talk to him, and then they'd walk away, and he'd just hang out. And yeah. I went up and I talked to him about like tone woods and speakers and pickups and you know action height and blah blah blah. And like Rabia was was the highlight for me of that because it felt like I was talking to a buddy. It didn't feel like I was talking to someone who's really you know a celebrity in the gear world. It was just like someone I met. Um, but like I met uh, a guy named Tom Mackin there. Uh, I was going outside for a breather and I ran into this guy and we started just chit-chatting about gear and we hit it off. And like, Tom, if you listen to this, I'm really sorry. I haven't talked to you lately. Um, I'll, I should shoot him a message and just say hi, but he's a great guy lives in Ohio was a lot of fun. Um, but, um, that pedal I gave to Rob, it appeared in a video like, um, when he had gotten back to Europe, he had, he was shown off some pedals that were given to him and he showed off the Mjolnir. Um, yep. and that kind of started that relationship, but, uh, but he, he showed off the ice nine. It was very brief. He's like ice nine and then moved on. And I was like, cool, neat. Like he kept it, you know, I thought that was really neat. Um, but, uh, the other thing that came out of that was before I left, I asked Rob because you were, you were going to go on that trip with me and you couldn't because you had just had a baby. I asked Rob if he would record a video for you to send to you. And yep. he recorded a video and Rob had just gotten married, um, to, um, Oh, I'm the worst. What's his wife's name? Um, no, I know it, her nickname is Nat, and I yeah. can't remember if it's Natalia or Natasha. I think it's Natasha. Natasha. Sorry, Rob. I'm yeah. really bad with names. Natasha. Um, yeah, we're talking to him like we know him personally. Nat uh, Natasha. Um, and I told him, I said, yeah, my buddy just had a baby. He couldn't make it out. Would you mind doing a video? And Rob recorded a video, and I sent it to Matt. And do you still have that video? Yeah. Touch uh, uh, like generally touching. Like I was in tears almost. Cause like Rob was like, that. I'm sorry you couldn't make it. I really want to have a baby one day. And this was before his first kid. Like, yep. you know, so, um, it was, it was really cool of him to do that. Um, and also I look at pictures from that event, dude, I've lost weight. <laughs> Holy crap. I was, a well, I was just going to say I was I was gonna have to call you out here in a second. Um, to the listeners, if you want to see some something really cool, um, and sorry if this embarrasses you at all, but you should go on YouTube and look up the documentary "Through the Hands of People." Now, at about the fifty-five minute mark, fifty-five <laughs> minute thirty-eight second mark, there is our good friend Poot the Bar, Tone Bro Number Two standing in line and then i believe somewhere after that is because i yeah i was trying to timestamp some of these uh a little bit later is is you trying out some of the chapman guitars so and i just thought that was so cool well 
And like any time the girls were here, I would pull up that if like I was watching that video, I'd be like, "Oh, guys, there's Uncle Chuck. Check it out." And they'd be like, "Oh, wow, he's with Chappers." Yeah, so because like, my kids know who Chappers is. So. Wait, well, yeah, it was me standing in line. Then it was me talking to someone, and then there was a a shot of me holding the seven string. I think it was yeah. It was the, the seventh string ghost fret. Was no, it? it was the ML seven. The ML seven. Okay. It was the ML seven, and I was telling. I was actually talking to Tom in that video because I was telling him the width of it felt like my my um fifteen twenty seven. So like you can see okay. my hand go up and down the neck, and I said it feels like a cross between my Charvel and my fifteen twenty seven. Um, yeah. but it, dude, it was it was a fun event. Um, and it makes me sad we're never gonna have anything like that again, probably. Um, yeah. just because of you know you know politicking and and such but anyway um this actually leads in to the worst pedal i've ever owned um as i said the ice nine was super great um and and i'm sure i'll change my mind on the worst pedal i've ever owned um but the worst pedal i've ever owned honest to god i also had the satch the saturator the distortion from vox yeah that pedal was a pile of dog shit. I to, par- to borrow a term from you, listen. I try. I the the time the time machine delay is amazing. The ice nine is incredible, and the big bad wah. I want a big bad wah so bad it's ridiculous. I want one of those so bad because I got to try one one time, and I loved it. And I didn't buy it, and then they quit making them. Um. The the Vox Big Bad Wall I want so bad, um, but the um, the Saturator Distortion man it was it was supposed apparently it was supposed to be like a take on the DS one, but dude it like the tone the tone knob anywhere past nine o'clock was unusable. It was so brittle and so bright. Like it was yeah. just, uh, as and- I remember it, it was, it was one of those, I don't want to say a cash grab things, but it was supposed to replace his, I think he was using, if I remember he was using like two DS ones, I think, I think one was like a boost and then the other one was like a, a moderate amount of gain, um, already running into this torqued up Marshall. But then I think when he started using the JVMs, he kind of stepped away from that because the JVM has more gain than you would ever need well, in any practical rig well there's a a trade-off in between well in between there there was a weird time where satriani everything other than his guitars that he put his name on uh his guitars and pickups everything other than those were just not quite there i'm not gonna say bad yep. because i've heard people get good tones out of some of the stuff like i said the ice nine yep. is great the big bad was awesome the time machine is great saturator's not good and and maybe I'm using it wrong, but I don't think it's good. And then the PVJSX, that amp is a love-hate thing because the cleans on that are incredible. The cleans on that amp are so good, but the drive on them is I just couldn't make it work. Every time I've seen one come up used, I get all excited and gassy and I go play it. And I don't like it. 
That's every interesting. Time. Like they're just like I tell people if you want a JSX, go get a triple X. Yeah. Because like the triple X's are so they they are one of the most underrated amps in the world. They're so good. Like I I will stand my ground on that man. That the PV triple X is an amp they should re fucking issue. Like bar I, none. I think Vox or yeah Vox Jesus mighty. I think PV actually still makes the triple X. No, they, they make the triple X two, which is the Satriani okay. head. Yeah. But rebranded. Okay. So it's yeah, it's following... been. A, I haven't paid attention to PV in a long time. Let's actually. I'll tell you what. While we're while we're doing this, I'm going to pull up the PV thing, and then, um, uh, let, let let me pull up the PV website because I know they just reissued the um the HP two, which is basically the Wolfgang. Um, yeah. Which, which I'm is okay a smart with. Idea. I'm okay with it. I, yep. I'm perfectly cool with it. Like I I. And they have been planning this for... No, they don't even make the Triple X2 anymore. They have... Let's see, guitar amp heads. Let me look. They make the um, 6505. Um, and they also call it on their website 6505 Metal Guitar Amp, by the way. Um, <laughs> 6505, 6505 Plus. The Butcher. They still make the, the remake of the Butcher. Yeah. Which I think is... Uh -huh. They make the classic mini. Um, they make the sixty-five oh five mini. They make the Buddha Superdrive. Um, oh, the Alex Skolnick no, model. No, that's not being made anymore. They make. Oh, the, it's not. No, and I, man, I found one of those for six hundred bucks. Didn't man. buy it. Should have. Um, yeah. But. Uh, it, uh, and also the other thing is too going back to our conversation that we had uh, a while ago we um i have a weird innate ability and you can corroborate this i have a weird innate ability to find good deals yeah you do I, it's kind of annoying actually <laughs> I, I dude In they the just they just happen like i'm i'm very fortunate maybe that's where all my luck goes that's why i have shit luck otherwise um <laughs> Buddha Superdrive 30 Series 2. So that's that one. They also make the Mark Nassen Buddha, uh, which is kind of the Alex Skolnick head. It's a four, three-channel uh, medium-gain, high-gain input, leather covers. Like four, It is $4,899, by the way. Um, Dear God. Which is insane. And then, of course, now they make the Invective and the Invective Mini, um, yeah. which it, have you gotten to try an Invective? No, not yet. Yo, it's the best I block letter pretty... you'll ever play. That's what I hear. It's it's pretty tasty. I think they should still be making shit in the U.S., but that's a completely yeah. different discussion. Um, yeah. But Matt. So you want to talk about you? We mentioned this before we started. You have a topic with Epiphone because you've been social social mediaing like crazy. What do you want to talk about that's going on with Epiphone? Okay, so as of I'm going to say, well, as of last week, from from the sources that I've seen, uh, I think Andertons was the first one that I noticed that broke this. Uh, Epiphone has re-released some of their older. I mean, they've been re-releasing older models for quite a while i think since the i don't want to call it rebranding because they never really rebranded they just 
shifted their focus, which I think was a really smart idea by the folks at Gibson to it, it's obvious that they their marketing team has really taking a serious hard look at Epiphone. Um because I think that's smart because that's the guitar that you know players on a budget are going to gravitate toward you know right there's we still which is a, a subject that we need to bring up on another video um which is brand loyalty versus brand myopia which is playing a brand because you love it and because you lo generally love what they do versus playing a brand that you play because you're supposed to play it right you know, that's that's another subject for another time. But I think we will spend a good two to three hours talking about just that. Oh, absolutely. So, because that's a very deep topic and it's a very easy topic to get into because it is all over the place. Brand myop myopia or myopia, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is in every I mean that's that's one of the one of the unfortunate side effects of marketing is that you're going to you know, people are gonna gravitate toward that stuff for no logical reason other than the name on the headstock or the name on the grill plate right but uh getting off topic so uh epiphone like i said has re-released a number of um guitars and even finishes um things as simple as finishes all the way up to models that they haven't played or that they haven't ha put out in quite a while and one of the ones that really caught my eye was the riviera and I can only, all right, so I'm going to be Sophia from the Golden Girls for a little bit. Picture it, Sicily, <laughs> 1920. Now, picture, picture it, um, Northumberland County, Pennsylvania, 1993. A young kid sitting in his house after school has the newest Guitar World issue that happens to come with a pamphlet for Epiphone guitars, and they have these models, uh, you know, as 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 they were um and the rivera was always the one that i found really interesting i remember it was the rivera it was the casino and it was the sheraton also and the, i'm yeah. gonna uh, listen i am not gonna to uh big brain you i don't mean to be that it's the riviera no. did i say rivera yeah you said um, rivera yeah. and Twice. i don't blame you yeah. because riveras are great but the, yeah uh, yeah that's that's the thing the riviera, plus i see yeah. I see the name Rivera every day because it's a very common name in our area. But oh, anyway, sure. so the the Riviera, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're totally right. Thanks for correcting me, asshole. Anyway, <laughs> um, come yeah, at the me, Riviera. bro. Come at me, bro. The the Riviera. Um, that was the one that always attracted me. And in the '90s, the Riviera model was a little bit different than um, the way the guitar was when it originally came out in the '70s. Okay. I think 60s or 70s when it was a Japanese uh, production. They back then and currently in the re-release they use mini humbuckers. Right. And they have that uh frequency they call it the frequencer tailpiece which is the first well, I would say the first. The first I believe three strings, the highest strings are um locked up higher toward the bridge than the bottom three strings which they are right toward the yeah the like, end of the bridge it's like compensated yeah compensated yeah good good yeah good good words coming out of your mouth i got i got anyway, all i got the best words you um, got the best words <laughs> believe me <laughs> all right go on because it's a sham anyway um but yeah so 
it had the frequency tailpiece, which I, I, I didn't understand at the time, but it does make a lot of sense from a, from a design standpoint, because you want a little bit extra tension on that, on those lower strings. Right. Um, but the big key is the humbuckers. Now in the original models and in the re-release, it was mini humbuckers. But when I first started getting into guitar playing, they were using full size humbuckers. And I don't remember what plant they were made out of. I don't remember if it was the Samic plant or the court plant, but that was when they were almost entirely made in Korea. And right. they were way, way, way high end for, you know, virtually the same price. Um, but I just think that's really interesting that they're going back into these back catalogs and pulling up guitars and pulling up even finishes that uh, haven't been used in a while to kind of get younger players on board with this heritage, quote unquote heritage. Um, you see other companies that are maybe pushing the envelope into more modern territory. Um, like I've been watching Trogley's videos where he's been talking about the, um, the troublemaker guitar by Fender. Right. Um, which that's, again, that's another subject for another time. Um, where it seems like Fender is giving you models that you didn't really ask for, which, again, no offense to Fender, but it seems like they do a lot of that. Gibson and Epiphone are almost giving you models that you forgot you liked in some kind of a weird, um, symbiotic, slightly toxic uh, way. <laughs> um, it's a guitar that you didn't know you needed, but you maybe forgot about, like the Wilshire. I don't particularly like the Wilshire, but or the coronet, but I know a lot of people who do. And they are really, um, as far as heritage goes, they are very, very important models. Oh, absolutely. Epiphone. Those were, I don't think, I don't know if they were the first Epiphones, but I know in the early days, they were, um, they were the budget guitars that were being offered right around the time Gibson and Epiphone, or right around the time Gibson absorbed Epiphone. They were, that's pretty much what Epiphone had to offer in addition to their they're hollow bodies. Yeah. So I think that's a very important model, but I just find it really intriguing that the Rivera, or, yeah, the, the Riviera uh, was brought back in addition to um, new finishes for the Casino, which the Casino, um, you know, Tone Bro number two and I have talked about this at length. The Casino to me is one of those, is, is another one of those um, bucket list guitars that I remember getting a hold of when I was a kid and just just fetishizing over it and just really? wanting one in the worst way. Yeah. And I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't because it completely goes against everything that I believe in as a guitarist. <laughs> now it's <laughs> like, the, from a, you, you know, from a design standpoint, it doesn't really fit for me because, uh, where does it join at? Like the, the 15th Oh, it joins fret. it. Uh, the, the, the actual joint occurs at the line of the joint in the body occurs at fret 16. So 16, you basically okay. have easy access if you have big hands to fret 18. Right. Like, and that's again, like on standard playing, you have access to like basically fret 16, like and that's 17. It. I'll even be generous and say 17. Yeah, that's uh, go on. Make, make your point. I will. Oh, no, I was just going to say they're and they're fully hollow. Uh, with P90s, and to me that just that just signifies feedback, tons of feedback. Oh, and they're uh, not tons even, of hum. They're not they're those old dog-eared metal top ones too, right? Like that. It's yeah, like to to so me. Like, so like if you're if 
No, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say just really quick. To me, the yeah, yeah. casino has a vibe of someone who is content playing cowboy chords their entire life. Like, yeah. It, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, not and, at all. and I'm not saying every guitar has to be a high performing shred machine. That's not it. Like, I get the vibe. I like the vibe. But to me, it looks like it looks like a second grader was asked to draw a 335. Yeah. And and that's like that. One of my biggest pet peeves with guitars is when they don't have good neck access. Like that. Yes. That drives that drives me up a wall because if you you look at the same rough time frame, and I'm using this very broadly, rough time frame. Look at the casino, then look at the cornet. I know they're two separate kinds of guitars. Yeah. The cornet, the Wilshire, or the Crestwood. Like they're all basically the same model with different features. Like the you know the corn uh, the Crestwood has many humbuckers and a Bigsby style thing. The Wilshire is basically a two pickup version of the cornet, like and with more controls. Like uh, it, you look at those and you have free access to every single fret on that guitar, all the way up to what twenty one on the cornets. Is it 21, yeah. 17, 19, Let me just pull 20, up 20, 22, um, 22, 22. And you look at yeah, those. And that neck is right at the, that neck is like, the joint is right at the end of the neck. Yeah, it kind of, it almost has that, uh, that Rickenbacker kind of vibe. Yep. Right? Like, so yeah. that's the thing. It's like, you look at it and you go, well, that can do it. And the Riviera has access. What? Why? Yeah. Why not the casino? Yeah, I couldn't ever figure that out. Um, and I and I totally get what you're saying about um, that's the guitar for got, people who are content with cowboy chords. Which again, that's 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 good if that's what you're into, and that's totally fine. I'm I'm not judging at all. Um, but also remember too, one of I don't want to say endorsers, but one of the most legendary guitarists who played at the casino was John Lennon. True. So I think that carries some weight to it as well. Absolutely. Um, now, as it should, he wasn't. A, he wasn't a wizard by any stretch, but he didn't have to be because he crafted, you know, arguably some of the greatest music oh, in history. He, wildly prolific. I'm not making that argument. But again, right. look at the style of music. Right. You didn't, it's not I mean, it's not complicated. It can be complex, but it's not necessarily complicated from a technical standpoint. But it didn't need to be because it was so good. But I'm kind of getting off subject with that. Um, but that that guitar would would be perfect for for somebody like that, and I right. think that kind of carries a, a little bit of mysticism. Uh, oh, that's the John Lennon guitar, and I know it is. Uh oh, what? uh oh, you're gone. Uh, there you are. Here? There you are. All right, sorry. Yeah, as soon as Epiphone put the John Lennon name on the guitar, then they could increase the price tenfold. Oh yeah. Well, and so. and and that's the thing. I'm not taking anything away from the guitar because it has a vibe to it. It right. definitely has like a vibe. And plus those dog ear P nineties, like they dude, I I know you who who was it I taught who I was talking to said they hate P nineties. That was me. You? That's right. Yeah. You said you hate that's right. You said you hate P nineties. I'm like, dude, I had again, this year this year has been a weird year for, for my my gear. I was in possession of a Les Paul uh a Les Paul Jr. Um, 
with the double P90s in it. Yeah. And it sounded great. I like P90. Holy shit, I just thought of a guitar I had that I forgot I owned. What's that? It was the 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 Squire Jaguar hot not hot rod, but it was the one that had two P90s in it, no pick guard, and it was mahogany with a sunburst finish. Are what? you sure that wasn't a Fender? No, it wasn't a was it a Fender? Yeah, I think it was. It was. It was. It was, I, it was a Fender. Uh, classic player series. Classic player series. I had yeah. one of those. Yeah, I forgot you had that one, but I remember when you got that, you were kind of raving about it. Dude, I loved it, uh, but it weighed a ton. But it, dude, yeah, it had P90s in it. But you would, I swear to God, you wouldn't know they were P90s. They were yeah. muscly P90s. Well, and I think that's the thing. I think the guitars that I played that had P90s in it. Now I've had I played some that I didn't like, and I've played some that I love. I think for me though, the big thing is I like I don't like single coils either, just because of the noise. Um, but also, I have a thing with um, I have tinnitus or tinnitus or whatever you want to call it, which I think most of us do to some degree. But mine, oh, I get these yeah. really, yeah. I get these real, like I'm real sensitive to certain frequencies, certain, uh, certain treble frequencies, honestly give me headaches and make me nauseous, um, because it hits at a certain spot that I just, that my, my ears are just hypersensitive to. And some P90s, they, they kind of have that to a degree, but then I've, I've played some that were very muscular, very, it was like the fattest single coil you've ever played. So I kind of have to be careful when I die. I mean, I'm not like Al Dimiola level where I have to turn my amps backwards and put cheesecloth over them to, and then uh, put, um, what is it, egg crates over top of them to muffle the sound because my hearing is shot. Oh, wow. But yeah, I saw a rig rundown, you know, the, off topic here. I saw a rig rundown of his years ago where he got back into playing electric. He had been out of it, I guess, for a couple of years. Um, a lot of it had to do with his, his hearing problems. But he was playing those uh, 100 watt Fuchs amplifiers, oh, those stacks, yeah. and he would have them. He would have them put um, like extra thick grill cloth on there. But then he'd have them turn it backwards, so it was away from him. Um, but he was miking it, so it didn't really matter. But they had all the stage volume. But everything that he did was so that he wasn't getting blasted with with any high end because he couldn't he, he couldn't handle high end because his hearing was was so compromised. Now I'm not at that level yet, but well, and, but again, that's that's a guy who spent his career playing 100 watt Marshalls, 100 watt Mesa boogies, you know, in stadiums. So I totally get it. Well, no, and and that's definitely a concern. Like that's why I'm glad. Um, live, my my band has gone. All of us are direct. Our bassist yeah. has stage volume. Like he runs his his amp direct and through a cabinet. Just for some some bass stage volume, yep. and I run a I run a monitor like a personal monitor with my Helix, and then I run to the board, like not getting blasted with with like amps on stage is a treat. Um, because when we're done with the gig, the only thing that affects my hearing is my drummer because he is a beast. Um. Yep. Oh, he's a mo I love I love Clayton. He's a monster player. Um but uh like 
there's something to be said about that too, because like we've mentioned before on the podcast, um, we've mentioned before, like there is no need for a 100 watt amp. Like, no, you don't. Like. You don't like it unless you are, you know, playing a stadium or a, a you know a, a large large venue. You know what I mean. And even then, there's no reason for for that much volume because you're going to mic it anyway. Right. Like you know, other than feel. And if you have that luxury and you don't have to worry about hauling your own gear, knock yourself out. You want to have eight marshals, go for it. Because I saw Malm, I saw years ago, I saw Malmstein and George Lynch live. Um, Lynch was with uh, the Lynch Mob, and it was up at the Croc Rock in Allentown, actually. Wow, that's amazing, right? Um. And George, first of all, George Lynch is a machine. Um, That man is live is, is, is a, a, a like living nightmare of a player. He is so good. It's disgusting. Um, He lives up to the Mr. Scary moniker, dude. And, and that's the thing you watch videos of, of him play and you're like, huh, that's George Lynch, huh? But then you see him play live and it's, he's a robot. The man is incredible. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't say enough. Um, but then Malmsteen came out, and Malmsteen was running his legit wall of marshals in the Croc Rock. Like, <laughs> it, dude, the, I had earbuds or earplugs for that show. I took them out once for f- about five seconds. And it, my ear my earplugs made everything sound okay and I could enjoy the show. I took them out for five seconds and I put them back in and I could hear my ears ringing. Oh yeah. It was insanity. Like you don't need that. Like no one does like, and there's no need to murder your ears. Like I should wear earplugs more often than I do, but you know, and I and I've developed a little bit of tinnitus. I notice yep. it at night when I'm trying to go to sleep. Um, during the day, I don't notice it, but at night, I definitely notice. I'm like, "Yep, gonna have to live with that for the rest of my life." Like, well, you want to hear you want to hear something scary? Um, no, because so... I have tinnitus. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good one. Good go one. On. Um, going back to that. As far as decibels go, and this is where people, I think, often get confused with the difference between, like, wattage and decibels. There's not a whole lot of difference between a 100-watt amp and a 30-watt amp as in terms of decibels. No. And at that range, it's it, the difference is negligible. They said you might get 10 to 15 dB difference, and that's that's nothing. But, um, and I remember... Andertons did a vid- did a couple of videos of how loud is this amp, and they took the Ingve amp and completely Ugh. torqued it. And I think they got somewhere around was it like 112, 113 decibels, somewhere in that range. And do you know how? Do you know what the decibel reading is? Like that will kill your brain or that will kill your hearing in one shot? Isn't it? Is 120 decibels? Oh, really? 120 decibels is basically the limit that your that your ears can handle according to the CDC. Wow. 
Yeah. Yo. So, yeah. According, yeah. Let me. Well, let me just. Yeah, you can read this just to make sure. And I'll I'll reiterate I'll reiterate some podcast stuff, folks. If you've stuck yeah. around this long for this episode, we're running long in the tooth on this one, but we're having a good time. Um, the uh, go on over uh, right now. You can find our podcast on Anchor. Um, slowly but surely, we're adding different platforms that you can get us on. I believe we're available on Google Podcasts right now. I think you can find us on. Um, I think you can find us on Spotify now. I'll have to double check. But Anchor is the place to go right now. That's anchor.com. Just search for The Tone Bros Podcast. Um, We post all of our uh, links uh, on our Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com slash The Tone Bros Podcast. Uh, And if you can't find it that way, just go to Facebook and search The Tone Bros Podcast. Um, And we'll make sure that we we have it up there. And again, I'm working on a YouTube channel. I just am being a uh, lazy SOB because I'm doing this podcast, another podcast, and I started up my my own personal YouTube channel again with a playthrough of Hollow Knight. So... We'll see how that goes. I gotta maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Maybe I'll along with doing some guitar work. Maybe I'll uh, I'll record uh, a couple more episodes of that. We'll see. Did you find the stats, Matt? Yeah, according to the CDC, noises above 120 decibels will cause immediate irreversible damage to your ears. <laughs> and they consider okay, so um, the equivalent of 120 decibels is equivalent to sitting next to an air raid siren. <laughs> think about yeah <laughs> according to the cdc that think about that standing in a room with ingve momstein's amp running through a half stack full volume is the equivalent of sitting next to an air raid siren and mind you folks his amp is a 50 watt yeah but did marshall release the 100 did marshall have a 100 watt version or am i thinking of sl- the slash model uh, that you're you have to be thinking of the slash model because Malmsteen's known for running his uh his uh um Marshall fifty watt uh Mark uh Plexi Mark twos. Um, let me see. Uh, Mar. Uh, oh, I'll you know search what? that. They do have a hundred watt version. The Y the YJM one hundred. Oh, re- oh, it is. Oh shit! But it, it, is. Had, it had power scaling. I think it did. It had yeah. a built in attenuator. That's it a, is a yeah, hundred yeah. watt amp. You are absolutely correct. Look at you. Look at the big brain on you. I actually, well, a guy yeah. who brought me uh, a pair of guitars to work on, um, who brought me a pair of guitars to work on here. He actually owned a YJM. Oh, that's, it seems so impractical. Dude. It, and he even said it was like, he, he even said that it was, but I'll tell you what, he has a couple videos and it sounds he sounds just like Malmsteen. Like it it it's oh, yeah. scary how accurate that amp is. Seriously. Oh yeah. Um, if you were to play a strat with the neck pickup, it'd probably be right there. Well, and he did. He had um he actually had a lot of uh various um uh he had various uh Malmsteen models over the years. Um he's a big Malmsteen guy. Max, he's a killer player. Just absolutely killer player. Um uh, I'm sorry. I just got a message uh, no. from a guy I'm doing some work uh, tomorrow for. Um, yeah. uh, I gotta, I gotta answer this, Matt. Uh, yeah, vamp. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, going back to what we were talking about <laughs> with decibels. Uh, 
yeah, 120 watt or 120 decibels is pretty much irreversible damage. And um, if I can, I'll, I'll see if I can amend this later. But the um, they crank or they clocked in the uh, the Malmsteen amp. Sorry, I'm rambling. I'm trying to read this here a little bit. I, they logged it in somewhere in it was either 103 or 113 decibels. So there wasn't a whole lot of of um, wasn't a whole lot of difference there. But um, if any of you watched The Walking Dead, remember in season one, episode one, when Rick is in the uh, in the tank and that walker is right next to him and he just pulls the trigger of his gun and that basic like minor concussion that he had, that was probably in the 130, 140 decibel range because that's about, according to the CDC, that's about where um, firecrackers and, and firearms would, would rest. So standing in front of one of those amplifiers cranked all the way up is basically like pulling the trigger of a 357 Magnum about a foot away from your head with no ear protection. Dude, and you I would drop. I remember when I was a kid and my dad would take us out to my uncle's uh uh property and the first time he well one of the first couple times he took us out to plink with the 22s, he yep. had me put on headphones, like the the muff the earmuffs, like the shooting yep. like earmuffs. And we're plinking with the 22 and being a smart ass I took him off because I'm like, ooh, ooh, you're gunfire. It was a That's 22. Standard. And I now I was a kid. I think I was like 7 or 10 or something like that. I took him off and I fired around. And I heard, and again, I was younger, but I heard pop boom. Mm -hmm. And it, it scared me. I thought I made myself deaf. And after yep. that, I made sure to take care of my ears. And my tinnitus is not as bad as it probably would have been. When I would go to concerts with my buddies when we were younger, I always wore earplugs and they made fun of me. Years later, when I was like in my mid-late 20s, my friend Ben said to me, he goes, dude, I wish I would have worn earplugs like you. And I said, why? And he goes, dude, I have tinnitus so bad, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I thought, I was like, wow, how bad would my tinnitus be now if I wouldn't have worn earplugs? Well, and when I was a kid, I used to listen to loud music through my headphones. Um, but I like at gigs and stuff and at concerts, I would wear earplugs. Um, you know, I was at least trying to be partially sensible, you know, but I kind of fucked it in the end by, you know, putting my cans on and cranking the volume of my Walkman all the way up. Well, that I know definitely did some damage, but I've really tried to make a concerted effort to, to take care of my hearing. But I have family history of hearing loss. So I'm kind of screwed in that in that regard. But with the gun thing, I. I'm not sure if I ever told you this. I actually shot a gun at a range without earplugs on. Oh, no. Uh, first, yeah. I, I forgot to put them in, and it was my first time ever shooting at a range, and I was firing a 38 Super semi-automatic. Oh, no. First, first shot, I legit saw stars, and I remember like putting the gun down and dropping to my knees and panicking because I forgot to put the safety on. And, oh, like, bro. not being able to see the gun in front of me. Like, that's how bad the concussive blast was. Oh, bro. Oh, no. That yeah, it was, it was horrible. Like, so, basically, what we're saying, long story short out there, folks, take care of your friggin' ears. Um, yeah. Like, please. Matt, we are running really long in the tooth for this episode. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got way off topic. I'll tell you what. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we do our recommendations and wrap this episode up? How's that sound? That sounds good to me. All right. Well, Matt, I'll tell you what. 
We and, and for anyone who's listening to this for the first time, we like to do at the end of every episode, we like to do gear recommendations for you guys to go out there and just try some stuff out, try new things, and see what's up. Um, it, it, you know, maybe something for you to just check out. Uh, it could be something if you're looking to satisfy that that uh, seasonal gas that's coming up with the holidays. Uh, you know, treat yourself to a Christmas gift. Here's the way for you to do it. Uh, Matt, I'm going to leave the floor to you. You go ahead and drop one, uh, and then I will drop mine. Okay, sounds good. So, and this this can get very expensive if you have um, a couple of amplifiers, but just hear me out on this one. If you're maybe not happy with the tone of your amp, uh, but, you know, it works for you, whatever, you, you know, you're pleased with that or whatever, but there's something that's not quite right. Upgrade your speaker. Replace maybe not even upgrade. Replace your speaker. If you're running a cab with a no-name brand or whatever, um, there are relatively inexpensive options from uh, from all the reputable brands. Uh, Celestion, at least I'm the last time I checked, Celestion has some really nice speakers that are under a hundred dollars. Um, the A type and the B type, which I have each one of them in a cabinet right now, and they sound incredible. Um, my Marshall 412 that uh, Tone Bro number two uh, traded with me uh, that has WGS green uh, green berets, which are basically greenback copies, and they sound phenomenal too. Uh, Eminence makes great speakers. EV makes great speakers. Even Fender has some awesome stuff. Uh, if you're ever in a rut, a tone rut, so to speak, upgrade your speakers, and you might completely you're going to completely change your tone, or you might just add something small to it. But either way, it's it, it might improve your sound and it's not going to set you back too terribly much. Uh, maybe a hundred bucks here and there, but I think it's definitely worth it. If you're, if you're in kind of a rut, just swap out a speaker. There you that's go. That's my recommendation. And damn you, because you stole mine. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was like, what are the odds he's going to throw out speaker and by God, um, no, that that's um, uh, like, it, it 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 really makes a difference because like I'll tell you what I'm missing my orange cab that had V30s in it. I'm a V30 guy. I've tried enough speakers. I just know I'm a V30 guy. Like I just like them. Um, I will say this though, I really 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 do like my um my Marshall Mode Four cab that I have right now. It's not loaded with the V30s or the was it GT. Uh, GT 100s like the 100 watt ones uh, they made two different cabs this one had the speakers changed out and uh, it was replaced with cream backs um, and the cream backs are really good um, but my recommendation would be uh, to check out um, uh, for you Floyd users out there that's right I'm talking to that contingency. And there's a lot of hardtail people out there that are rolling their eyes at me, but fuck you. You're just not, you're too smooth brain to use a Floyd. Um, the, oh no, man, <laughs> they, oh man, they can be a pain in the ass. They can, I will say that they can be a pain in the ass, but I'll tell you what, if you really spend the time with them and learn how to use them, they are worth the price of admission and the headache. They're great. I'm sorry. I'm a Floyd guy. Um, but anyway, Joking aside, um, for you Floyd users out there, my recommendation would be to check out FU Tone. Okay, like so, I had the, the opportunity 
to try a guitar that a friend of mine had upgraded with a titanium block. Okay, so if you don't know what a block on a tremolo is, it's the part that the springs attach to on the back of the tremolo. Not just Floyd's, but any tremolo. But we're talking Floyd's here. So there are some Floyd's. People think that Floyd's don't have the same sound as a hardtail, and you're right, they don't. However, most of the time the problem is not the fact that it's a Floyd, but the fact that it's not made super well. Like, the original Floyd Rose uh, trems, the ones that are German-made, are very great. They are a cut above the rest. Um, Godo makes a really good one as well. Um, uh, Schaller makes a really good one. But the, 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 the crux of the matter here is FU Tone has a lot of upgrades. You can get stainless steel parts. You can get uh, blocks, locking screws uh, for the nut and the bridge stuff that's made of better materials so they won't wear out. One of the biggest problems that like Floyd users run into is screws that actually lock down the blocks will strip out. Then you run into a problem. So if you upgrade um to your your like hardware on your trem, which is like all the uh hex screw uh parts, if you upgrade them to titanium they will never wear and you will never accidentally strip that out and it's worth the price of admission um now the big thing i'm talking about here is the block on the back the part the strings attach to if you have a guitar that sounds thin or not great and it has a floyd on it chances are you have one that has a block that's made of a thin shitty material like some kind of pot metal or whatever if you change out the block and it's it's kind of a task but if you change out the block to a big brass block or a titanium block or something more substantial it will improve your tone it will this is not psychosomatic this is not the placebo effect it will work it will add more mass to your bridge thus adding more substance to your tone it is it's, it's a little pricey, and if you don't want to modify your current trem, they sell pre-made trems. You can even customize it yourself. They do custom colors on hardware. It's great. Go check them out. That's FU Tone, and it will improve your tone wildly if you're a Floyd user and you're not happy with your, guitar, your, your Floyd. Don't sell your gear because you're not happy with the way it is. Try modifying it. And if you modify it and it doesn't work, then at least you can say, hey, I'm going to sell this guitar. It's been upgraded with these parts and you might be able to have a little bit more wiggle room in your price. So it's worth the try. So FU Tone, which is Floyd Upgrades Tone, check it out. That's my recommendation. Matt, you want to uh, close us out here? Yeah, we can do that. Um well, anyway, yeah, it's been real. Oh. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So uh, I think I, I speak on behalf of uh, my other tone bro here that we really appreciate all the support we've been seeing on social media lately. Uh, yeah. We've been growing leaps and bounds, and I'm, I'm we're both incredibly pleased with that. So uh, you keep on listening. We're going to keep on trying not to fuck it up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that we're, no, we're just, I'm just really trying to, um, you know, keep 
social media alive and keep as much information as we can to provide fuel for other episodes. So if you guys have any suggestions or comments, you know, hit us up either on our Facebook page. Uh, we're still, I'm still working on the Instagram page. I've been running to some snags with that, but um, we're working on that uh, and check out our podcast. We have, I think five episodes up right now and um, yeah, just thank you all for the support and keep tuning in and hopefully we'll be able to deliver and remember gain is not volume. Keep it real.